You are listening to How Does She Do It, episode 17. Welcome to the ride. Thank you for joining me for another episode of How Does She Do It, a weekly podcast dedicated to sharing practical insight and honest perspective on being grown. My name is Tiffany and I am your host. This show notes for this week's episode will be available at howdoesshedoitpodcast.com slash 17. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at howdoes underscore she do it. If you'd like, you can also join the email list by visiting the website howdoesshedoitpodcast.com and you can join the email list there. And the benefit of being on the email list is that you can have the podcast episodes sent directly to your inbox. If you'd like, you will also find out about things that I'm doing on the show that I might not record directly in each episode, but things that are happening between episodes. And um, it'll just be dope to be on my email list. And last but not least, if you'd like, you can uh, like the show on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash podcast. Before I get into this week's episode, which is another Just My Thoughts episode, this is the second one that I've done so far, you are much appreciated for your reviews and ratings in the iTunes store, as well as on Stitcher. Please feel free to continue to do so. It helps to get my show noticed in the iTunes store and to help other people find out about what I hope you find is valuable information and things that I'm sharing on the show. So if you will, there'll be a link directly in the show notes to where you can leave a rating and review so you don't have to figure out how to do it on your phone, which I have struggled with several times before. Um, So just know that that will be available to you. And as always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or things that you want me to talk about or share during the Ask Tiff segment of the show, you can email Tiffany at HowDoesSheDoItPodcast.com and I will answer your questions there. This week is the second of the Just My Thoughts episodes. And in the Just My Thoughts episodes and the segment that I generally do on the show, it's really a an assortment of topics or thoughts or opinions that I have about things that I come across in what I've noticed has been pop culture commentary about issues related to race or a, a, not, a lot of different things. It just so happens that I pay attention to things that are about race very often, and I think that they are getting um, issues related to race and diversity and inclusion or discrimination or black lives or all lives are being reported on a lot more frequently in the media. Um, but before, and actually, as I say that, I was, I'm reminded of a, sh- a movie that Boo and I watched last week called Nightcrawler. And it stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think my friend over at... a uh, Two Guys, One Show, the podcast, Rich, I think he mentioned watching that movie. And it didn't get a lot of fanfare, I don't think, but we watched it and my mind is still a little bit blown about that movie. Number one, Jake Gyllenhaal played a really weird guy, um, which is not usual. It it was a def- it looked like a, it was a different role for him. He did it really, really well. But the show was basically, the movie was about um, the a man who followed news stories at nighttime and 
what I think was more interesting was the commentary about the way that the media picks certain stories to get uh, more airplay and to get more FaceTime, so to speak, with the audience and what they know is going to sell. And it was just it was fast. It was really fascinating to see what I actually think is probably the real process between a lot of the stories that we uh, that we see on our evening news and our local news. Because as we know, most Americans get their television from the news that comes on between five and you know seven or eight o'clock at night. And so, what sells in those time slots is kind of what the commentary is or what the beliefs are about what's happening or not happening in this country. I'm going to start with talking about Flint. And what is happening in Flint, Michigan, if you do not know, is over the last, I would say it has been, I think about a year or so that they, the people in, in, in Flint, Michigan, they brought in a new or they implemented or they rolled out a new water filtration, filtration system. And that system has been failing. And what it's been doing is not actually filtering the water, but the water has been gross and dirty, and it has had elevated amounts of lead in the water. And it just so happens that Flint is a low-income city that happens to have um, a population of African-American people. I don't know the exact percentages, but I know that there there there's conversation about the inequality and um, and what happens to people who are either poor, who are black, or who are both or one or the other. And the the fact that this this has been reported on not as popularly as it has been in recent, in, at least especially in this week. But I heard a story on NPR about this situation months ago. So that's going to be my first plug is to listen to NPR because NPR puts out information that is not as mainstream and it's not sensationalized in a lot of ways. And they approach news stories from a variety of angles. When there is a race issue, they will note that. I'm not saying that NPR is a perfect news organization. I don't know that those things exist. But I have found in my um, in my listening of listening to NPR and then finding out or hearing other commentary from other shows about or from other news outlets about the same issues, NPR I think does a much a, does a really good job of presenting balanced information to its listeners about different topics. And they talk about, and just another a, a random note, like on Saturday, not Saturday, on Friday, they noted that the rapper Silento, it, they noted that it was his birthday, his 18th birthday. And I just thought that was kind of cool. So they do things, like little things like that, to me, just indicates a, a news organization that is not... Um, that is that is real, right? That that does things that are not just about a a movement or not about not about pr- promoting a certain mindset or a certain set of beliefs or thoughts, but that they you know they bring in commentary from conservatives. They talk about issues that are happening internationally and in this country that are below the radar. And um and in and I think the reflection of that is the fact that they had reported on the issues happening in Flint months ago, and now all of a sudden it's becoming a bigger issue. And I think the issue with Flint that is, in addition to the fact that it's in a it's a great just disrespect and and just disgusting display of treatment of people is the fact that we are seeing corruption. We're seeing 
governments who are charged with servicing the public and serving the public and meeting the needs of the people who have been elected by people who have been, you know, charged with being responsible for different aspects of, of people's lives, abusing that power and turning a blind eye and acting as though you know, issues that exist do not exist. And this is not a new story. And unfortunately, it's not a new story. Um, but I think it demonstrates the power of, of being active, of knowing what's happening, of being aware of who your elected officials are, or finding ways to hold these officials accountable. We're seeing this now in Chicago with Rahm Emanuel, who and the and the the other elected officials who knew about the cover up or who orchestrated the cover up related to the young man who was killed. I believe it was Laquan, with Laquan McDonald. But I say all that to say, listen to your local public radio. Stay informed. Um, I think that. When we rely on only certain types of news sources for our information, we can miss out on things that have been happening for a long time. And I'm happy that the Flint, the the tragedy and the, you know, um, disgusting display of government irresponsibility, um, or I would say perfect example of government irresponsibility that is happening there is now getting mainstream attention. This has been going on for a very, very long time. I'm not saying that I have been one to do do much about it, if anything, um, but I think that we have a responsibility to at least know what's happening and not wait until it gets on the cover of Huffington Post or it gets on CNN to know what's going on and there are resources out there to help us stay informed. Moving on to topics that are a little less, um, that are not as heavy, as the poisoned water of people in um, Michigan, in Flint, Michigan. This week has been one of interesting commentary related to race, as it seems to be that seems to be happening much more often. So let's start with Stacy Dash. And I haven't asked anyone to, to take a seat or I haven't offered anyone a seat in a few weeks a few episodes, I believe the last time it may have been given to Raven Simone yet again. But this time it's it's given to her, her homegirl, it must be, because they seem to speak similar rhetoric. Stacey Dash. Now, for those of you who don't know who Stacey Dash is, she played Dion back in um, on Clueless. And that might have, might be the, the most famous role that she's ever played, which may, you know, I'm, I'm, I won't speak any, I won't comment on that specific fact or opinion if you will, depending on how you look at it. But Dion, she she was 28 when she played Dion. I did not realize that. I knew she was older than a high school student, but 28, like, that's kind of crazy. Anyway, she's 49 now, 48, 49 now. And she was, has been a commentator on Fox News for some years now, for some time now, and I did not know that. So this goes to show you how um, much of, on my radar at least, she's been on, but apparently she's been on the radar for other people because she says some controversial things. Most recently, she was on Fox News sometime last week talking about the Oscars, lack of diversity in this year's Oscars nomination. And the she basically was quoted saying, that either we want segregation or integration or we don't want segregation. So she called for the 
saying that shows like BET, the BET Awards show or the Image Awards, that they need to go and basically said that there should be no BET or there should be no Black History Month. And, you know, I literally have my hand on my temple right now because I'm just trying to, I still haven't quite been able to articulate. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, right? But what you... What people have to recognize is that when a network like Fox News gets a person of color to come on their show, it's almost as though it, or at least it seems to me, that it's an attempt to be like, see, this person who is also black has these thoughts, so these thoughts can't be that ridiculous. And these thoughts are ridiculous, whether they're coming from a uh, you know a white person, whether they're coming from a black person, that the idea that all that this shows or networks like BET stand for, and we can have a, just please note, we can have a whole separate conversation about BET itself. But the reason things like BET exist, magazines like Essence, magazines like Jet, magazines like Ebony, magazines like Vibe, or award shows like the NAACP Image Awards, or well, the reason why those things exist is not because black people are attempting to self-segregate themselves, but they exist in a, as an attempt to highlight things about ourselves and our culture that won't otherwise get recognized. So for someone like Stacey Dash, who has been the beneficiary of being um, played on, in having roles on shows that aired on show on networks like BET, or has been featured on, um, you know, has been a part of this community, for her to go on Fox News and now and start talking about it, it's like, was she doing this just so she could get her name back in the headlines? Most recently, you could, you know, we could talk about um, Aunt Viv doing having maybe similar motivations for her commentary on. Um, on Jada and Will Smith. Um, and just a side note, I'm going to share in the show notes a very funny article that I saw on Very Smart Brothers about, I think it might have been 20 or 22 things that are not as petty as Aunt Viv <laughs> or as Janet Hubert was. It's very funny. So I'll put it in the show notes. But anyway, the fact that Stacy Dash could have been baited into this conversation is just, you know, just have a seat, have more than one if you choose. Um, you miss the point. If any person's commentary about the Oscars and the lack of inclusion is then turns on the existence of other award shows for black people or for people of color, if that's what you're focusing on, you have obviously missed the point. And my little podcast is not going to help you understand the point that we're trying to make. And neither are the, 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 you know, the tweets that happen that come at you as a result of that. And, um, yeah, just have a seat because that's not the point. And don't, talk down about things that you have been a beneficiary of now all of a sudden you are too good for it like is that is that what the case is because if that royalty check comes from something that you were on that aired on BET you're probably not going to turn it away so you and your girl Raven can sit down together I'd now like to talk about I guess it's more backlash that the internet has unleashed on, and I always say the internet, but it usually starts with Twitter, um, that I, I've noticed that in the last several months, or not even longer than that. But when they're, when someone is getting taking heat for something that they have said or done on social media, Twitter is the place that it jumps off at first. So this week, we have two white men 
who have been associated with black music, right? We have Sam Smith on one hand and we have Macklemore on the other. They did two different things, but they, they but it all comes back to a larger point. So we're going to talk about them separately and then bring it all together. So Sam Smith, apparently on sometime earlier this week, he witnessed a racist act in London that left him quote unquote speechless. And I'm getting this, I got this um, from a Huffington Post article that I'm going to link in the show notes. So he went through a series of tweets that acknowledged that he was, his friend was verbally abused in London. He never thought that it would happen here, that he was speechless and hurt, that he feels like he needed to quote unquote shine some sort of light on it. And that humans are humans in humans in all caps, which I think is always in, is always interesting, um, and that he's just so upset by it. So he goes on Twitter. He does this on Twitter, and people responded to him in not a very not receiving receiving his commentary very well. That someone said that it's ironic that Sam Smith was discovering racism that it you know that it in, existed that it existed period and that the story was about him it became about him and not his friend and the commentary is very similar to what people are saying about Macklemore now what Macklemore um what's going on with him Macklemore is the guy who released he's he pairs up with a producer I'm not like are they a rap group or they a duo maybe it's like the Neptunes I'm not exactly sure but um his producer's name is Ryan Lewis, and his last album was called The Heist. He came up with that fancy song, Thrift Shop, that did really, really well. Macklemore also won like Best New Artist last, last year over Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, he sent Kendrick Lamar some tweet saying that it should have been him to win and not Macklemore and put it on Instagram. So there was all that kind of, you know, backlash against him related to that. This year, right now, what happened this week, Macklemore releases a song that's a sequel to a song apparently that he released in 2005 called White Privilege 2. I don't know about you. I didn't know who Macklemore was in 2005. So I had to go back to find that song to even know what the reference was. So just to, you know, kind of be complete and thorough in my understanding of the situation. So fast forward to now, he releases this song called White Privilege 2. It's a sequel. And the, the song is about, is a little bit under nine minutes long. And it has a few different, a few distinct parts. I listened to it once. I listened to it before I went back and read commentary and reviews of the song because I wanted to kind of feel how, what I felt about it personally. So the, the distinct parts of the song, I think, are his internal conflict, like him kind of talking to himself and his recognition that he is a part of appropriating hip hop and appro appropriating black culture. Then it goes into commentary from people who praise his quote unquote brand of hip hop, that it's not like the, the other kind of, you know, hip hop that talks about guns and thugs, right? That, that in and of itself is, is, a, is a whole different conversation. Then it goes into commentary about or from what I perceive as Black Lives Matter supporters of that movement. And then it ends with this kind of what feels like a hopeful, you know, I don't know if it's a, it's not really a call to action or anything like that, but it ends on a, on a different type of note. And I listened to the song, I listened to some of his lyrics, and I didn't want to go too deep into it. I'm not a music 
you know, a music reviewer, a music analysis is not something that I do as a profession. So I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to step into a lane that I'm not in. But in listening to some of the lyrics, some of the things that he talks about is that he recognizes that the American dream fails to mention that he was several steps ahead to begin with. That's one of the lines, you know, paraphrased that he says. Another line that I thought was noteworthy was that white supremacy isn't just some dude in Idaho. White supremacy protects the privilege that I hold, him speaking about himself. He says, as part of our country's legacy, it's designed to keep us indifferent. We can all take what we want from black culture, but will we show up for black lives is a question that he kind of poses. And he mentions that he knows that he's been very passive. And the young lady at the end of the song named Jamila Woods, she, her verse at towards the very end is your silence is a luxury. Hip hop is not a luxury. So he calls out in the song Iggy Azalea, who responded, who I can't stand her music and um, very much of what she stands for. Um, and she, he called out, he mentioned Elvis. He mentioned himself in the fact that people, call, that there are white people who benefit from cultural appropriation and, um, or from appropriating black culture in different parts of it. And in reading some of the commentary about it, some of the the criticisms, there were a few different, I read about four articles, and the theme that kind of ran through all three of them was that one, which I, I'm not really sure I, I agree with, is that his lyrics are so basic that there's no real, there's no real, um, it's, they're not really complex. And so it's not, you can't tell if you're being pandered to and you can't really tell what his angle or his message is. I don't really care that his lyrics are not complex. I think that that's because there are a lot of, a lot of rappers who don't have complex lyrics and their messages are as shallow as baby pools. So I, I don't think that that does anything to serve or undermine what his, his what he's saying. And I and the other thing that I, I noticed is that people are acknowledging that his white privilege is the exact thing that one allows him to make this song and two now has brought him into a conversation that is not about him. And he somehow made this about him. And commentary about Sam Smith was similar that the story is now about them and not about racism. And it's about the, the man who was, who was witnessing this racism happen, but not about the man who's experiencing the racism. And it made me, it made me really think, like, I feel, I feel if I have a lot of different thoughts about it, but I think that what I'm, what I'm challenged with is, or what I'm struggling with is the idea that we or that people criticize when, when I think about, let me back up a little bit. When I think about the struggles that I experience and that black people and that minorities experience in this country, and I think about ways to help educate or help create understanding around what that experience is like for people, to people who don't understand that experience, my the thing that I think about is dialogue. Is the thing that I think about is wanting to is encouraging people to reflect on the privilege that they hold or the privilege that exists, and to have conversations that are challenging, that don't always sound good, that don't leave you feeling good, that don't even always lead to tangible solutions, but 
that create the conversation that we don't have. And the criticism that is coming to both Macklemore and Sam Smith and a lot of other people who kind of step into this arena of expressing themselves related to related to race issues is that they're criticized for doing that. Like Macklemore is being criticized essentially for acknowledging that his privilege exists and for the fact that he's going to benefit from his privilege. And I don't really know what that criticism, how that criticism benefits. I think that it creates dialogue, it creates conversation, which is very important. But to what end? What do we really gain by, you know, some, I don't want to say shaming, but kind of making, you know, saying that this is like, why is he doing this? Why is he making these? Why is he putting out this song? What is he going to do about it? Is he going to, you know, one of the articles talked about, you know, it's not, his commentary is not about changing politics. It's about, you know, highlighting emotion and it's about his emotion and his thought process. But what's wrong with that? When I think about trying to help people access the emotional experience of being a racial or ethnic minority in this country. That's exa- that's exactly the point, is, is understanding and creating conversation around the way that we experience race differently in this country. And so one of the things that I would love for white men to do in men, period, is to for them to be able to acknowledge and recognize their privilege and not even just you know, people, not even just white people, but people who are educated for us to recognize our privilege, people who are able-bodied for us to recognize our privilege, people who don't have to depend on the government to provide them for financial support in, you know, in the way that they live their life every day. Those things are privileges. And for people to, to, attack someone who is who is reflecting emotionally on his privilege and he did it in a song that's part of the issue his album is coming out in about four weeks and you know so there are all these different potential you know people might be questioning his motives all that okay fine but what about the the fact that he's doing something that I think that most people don't do? Whether you, and most people don't. I'm talking about most people about most issues is do self reflection, and his self reflection happens to be on a track, and his self reflection and and Sam Smith's kind of realization came out on Instagram. I mean, or or Twitter, but. These white men are recognizing, are opening their eyes to, yes, issues that maybe they didn't realize were happening until right now, but they're recognizing that they're happening. And is that so bad? Is that so bad? And I guess it, it, and then it leads to the question is what exactly, why is that wrong? And why, what can we do with this that is positive? What can be gained from this type of display? And again, I don't know his motives. I have not had a conversation with him about it. Um, one of the leaders of the Black Lives Movement did have a conversation with him, an, an hour-long conversation, and I'll post to an article about that in the show notes. But His name is um, D. Ray McKeeson, and f- forgive me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but he had a conversation with him about it, and he recognized the place that he was coming from. I think that intentions... Whether what regardless of what his intentions are, I think the song has the potential to 
cause people who listen to his music, which it happens to be, I believe, is probably a, 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 a significant white audience, to hear the words in his track, to hear the, the struggle that he's having, the conflict that he's having. And no, he doesn't have the answers, but I don't think any of us have all the answers. We have suggestions, we have opinions, and he is expressing his. And this is not, you know, I just, I really just wanted to express that because I think that what we, what I've noticed in in social media now is that there is a very, it's very easy to criticize. It's very, very easy to attack someone who puts themselves out there on the internet to express themselves in a certain kind of way. Because I have hesitated to share certain thoughts that I have because I know how easy it is for one tweet to have you, you know, dragged, to use the, the, the popular phrase, dragged across the internet because you express an unpopular opinion. We talked, we saw it happen with Aisha Curry. We saw it happen with Jada Pickett. And then we saw we saw it happen with Janice Hubert. We saw it happen with Stacey Dash. We saw it happen now with Sam Smith. We see it happen with Macklemore. And it happens every day. And that's not necessarily in and of, in, in and of itself a problem. But I think what we have to remember is that people are putting themselves out there and you it comes with a risk, right? When you put yourself out there on a public forum, you come with you you present the self the risk for criticism. And I'm not saying that the criticism is the problem, but it's about recognizing that. If we're going to criticize, do we also have solutions? Do we also can we also see the value? Can we also see the vulnerability that the person put themselves out there? I think this song is pretty vulnerable. If you listen to it, it's not just him. You know, it, it, to me, it doesn't sound like he's just saying things for the sake of th- saying things. It sounds like these are things that he is, that he wrestles with. And the fact that this is coming after he released the song in two thousand and five, which was of course you know eleven years ago. But the point is, this is a thread, and this is something that he recognizes that he is he is in a system that allows him to benefit because he's because he's a white man and he's going to experience participating in African American culture in in hip hop culture differently than other people and is that his fault no arguably um you know what what's the alternative that he stopped making hip hop that he stopped doing something that he loves to do I don't know I don't have the answers all I'm saying is that you know we have to be mindful of if we're asking people to to understand the experience that black people are going through and the experience that racial and ethnic minorities deal with in this country and where we want white people to understand and to, to reflect on their privilege and we want to have conversations with people that we have to encourage that conversation to happen and that when that conversation happens on either side of the table just because I'm black does not mean I hold the the rights and the understanding of what black what the black experience is I can only speak to my individual black experience and I've already learned in my in interacting with people that I've had disagreements with, I don't hold a patent on the black experience because there is no such thing as one unified black experience. We are we are different people and we all grow up in different types of environments. That being said, we have to be willing to hear the commentary of the people like Stacey Dash. We have to be willing to have conversations and to allow people to express opinions that might be different and that might not feel good, that might be challenging, but it's a dialogue. And that my, one of my, I, I don't know if you could call it a philosophy. One of the things that I truly, truly believe that will impact 
racial relations is in this country is to have conversations with people about our individual experiences. Because what we all like, what we do is we see representations of each other. We see people who say this thing one way and who say who say this. And so we assume and we make assumptions that that is what this group of people think. That is how this pe- group of people behave. And until we start interacting with the people that we see on a daily basis and asking questions about them and talking to them about our experience, for example, and I, and I live this, when I go to work in my majority white work environment, I am not afraid to talk about racial issues and about the, dis, the, the um, discrimination that exists in the profession or about the fact that there are racial issues happening in America, in the news and in the media. I bring up those things because they need, people need to understand that these things impact, these things are happening. So... You know, I, re- I just talked a lot. I did a lot of talking, and obviously this gets me very, very worked up. But um, I think if I could tie it all up, I would say have conversations with people. Encourage dialogue across your differences with people. And those differences, and it, I'm not just talking about the difference between black and white or Asian and Hispanic. I'm talking about the differences between, because our I have black friends who don't agree with me politically about things. I remember when I was in law school, I had, I made so many assumptions about one of my classmates. And I just, I just knew what kind of black guy he was. And he came from this kind of place and he didn't understand the struggle and blah, blah, blah. And I just made all these assumptions about him because I thought that my experience was more valid and more uh, was more authentic, so to speak, than his. And that that's just not the right not the right way to approach it. My experience is my experience. His experience is his experience. And my my job, our responsibility, is not to make one person right or wrong, but it's to understand each other's perspective is to understand where we come from. And when we can talk about our experiences, no, I might not change your mind, but now you know where I'm coming from. And you might not change my mind about something, but now I have heard you and I've heard your emotion. I've heard your experience. I've dispelled some of your stereotypes. I've dispelled some of the things and the assumptions that you're making about me. That's what we have to do for each other. That is what we have to do for each other. And if we want to move this, these race relations forward in this country, we have to start doing that with, with, with people, with the people that we see every day, the people that we go to school with, the people that we work with. We have to start doing those things. And it's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be comfortable. And it won't always be easy. But that is going to be how I think change begins to happen. I could be very wrong. It might not go over well. It might not be taken well or received well. But having conversations about race without the pressure of feeling like one side or one person or one group in the conversation has to be right can help make a difference. And that approach applies to a lot of different things that we have, that a lot of different differences or disagreements that we have in our daily lives. When you approach an argument as though you have to win that argument, you are essentially already closing off 
the possibility of learning anything from the other person on the other side. And again, I am not, I, I have very strong beliefs about the black experience in America as compared to the white experience in America. I have very strong convictions and there are facts to back up the difference in the way that people of color move and operate and are treated in this country. So let, let me say that. And I, I'm sure you all know that that's very clear. I guess my point is that when we're trying to impact day-to-day understanding of people who might otherwise tune out the bigger picture or who might not be comfortable engaging in that conversation or understanding or not know where to begin, that is where our individual approach can make a difference. So I encourage you to think about your individual approach. Think about the individual conversation that you could have with someone to help open that person's mind. And again, this is small scale. I'm not talking about policy change and all that kind of stuff because that's a whole conversation for another day and probably another podcast. But as individuals, we have the power to impact the way that we exist in the environments we spend time in every single day. That is our responsibility, black, white, green, purple, yellow, or otherwise. That is our role in our homes. That is our our roles in our work. And if we are going to be change agents, if you're interested in doing that, then we have the responsibility to begin to create that change where we exist every day. Be the change you want to see. And I just dropped the mic if you didn't hear it. Since I did a lot of talking, I had I wanted to talk a little bit about some life lessons I learned from watching the Tony Braxton movie last night on Lifetime. Um, and by the time you listen to this, it would have been I watched that on Saturday, the twenty third. Um, but by the time you listen to it, it'll be several days after. So I'm gonna hold that for next week, and I'll share those thoughts in the next next episode. Before I close out this episode, I want to read another review from the iTunes store. It's from Hopeful Undergrad, and it says, Relatable content and great advice. I found myself agreeing and talking back to the podcast while listening, LOL. The topics are relatable, the perspective is helpful, and the words are very inspiring. Great concept for college students, especially if you're approaching graduation like myself and are a bit all over the place with post-grad thoughts and pre-grad lessons. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have shared it with some of your classmates. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, please send an email to Tiffany at HowDoesSheDoItPodcast.com. Don't hesitate to leave a five-star rating and review in the iTunes store or on Stitcher, or you can even listen along on SoundCloud and leave comments as the show progresses, um, which is a pretty cool feature. And until next time, be blessed and be a blessing. Peace.